this week on Dig Me Out. How is it possible that this band isn't huge? I just don't get it. I don't get if you like rock and roll music, how you cannot like this band. Tim and Jay review Grande Rock by the Helicopters. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host, Tim Minichi, and joining me from parts unknown to me, <laughs> Mr. Jason Ziak. Jay, this is our first uh, long-distance episode. You are now based in the uh, live music capital of the world. Is it the world or the United States? I don't know. I'm just going to call the it the world. The universe. universe. Saturn might have something to say about that, but uh, you're in Austin, Texas now, and uh, probably not going to sound any different because Skype is crystal clear uh, pretty much <laughs> wherever you use it, so people won't be able to tell any difference. Uh, Jay, you're in a different time zone, so um, tell me, what is the world like one hour in the in the past for me, or is it the future? Amazing things are going to happen in the next tell- hour. Tell me more. The only thing that's going to sound different about this is that I, I think at some point I'm going to start saying y'all. Oh, God. I, I don't think you have a choice when you move down here. Eventually <laughs> it just starts happening. Sorry, I'm going to apologize now. So the flex is getting traded in for a pickup is what you're saying. Lord, I thought there was a lot of pickups in, in Ohio. Oh, my goodness. They are Everywhere. Everywhere. Well, and you everybody know, has, has has more than one, I think. You know, Jay, they call Sweden the Texas of Scandinavia. No, they don't. Just, just trying to figure out a way to segue into uh, the band that we're talking about this evening. And that's the Helicopters, a band that we have referenced more than a few times. And since this is our uh, finally get to it year, we're finally getting to the Helicopters. And we're going to talk about their album from... 1999 and that's called grande rock uh, jay this is a band that you introduced to me mm. do you remember doing so i don't remember the exact day but <laughs> it was a it was a, you... a a balmy 70 degrees on a saturday and no i don't remember i, I just remember it wasn't it was this album actually it was uh, the the first album super shitty to the max Oh, really? Uh, yeah, you. we were at your first, I think it was your first apartment or second apartment uh-huh. in Columbus, and it might have been the first one, and you were like, you got to hear this song, got to get some action. And I think you and Keith were, bo- uh, were both there, and Keith had heard it already, and you guys played it for me, and I was like, what is this? <laughs> this, is, this is breaking the speakers. Yeah. Yeah, that was my introduction into the uh, helicopters, and then... I think from there you got Grande Rock, and I think it might have you might have gotten this from Bill at your uh, at your office. He might have introduced you. Is that correct, or am I wrong? He, uh, yeah, he introduced me to to Super Shitty for sure. And then, um, boy, it seems like the the first couple albums of theirs came out very close together. I don't. Well, you'll mm-hmm. get into the timing yeah. uh, in the history, but uh, it just seemed like an avalanche of of this um, Super Shitty and. Um, the second record, uh, paying the dues, paying the dues. It seemed like I, I just, you know, I got them in sequence when they came out, but I just remember it all. I was like, it seemed like it happened all in one month. That's probably true, because if this happened in Columbus, that means it happened in like fall of '98, 
you know, sometime in 99, which is when this album came out. So, yeah, let's talk some history of the helicopters. History of the band. So I mentioned they were from Sweden. Uh, they formed in 1994 by Nicky Anderson, also would go by Nicky Royale, on vocals and guitar, Dragon on guitar, Kenny Hackinson on bass, and Robert Erickson on drums. Anderson, Nicky Anderson had been the drummer in the death metal band Entombed, and Dragon was taking a break from his full-time band, The Backyard Babies. Erickson had been, uh, Dragon and Herr Erickson had been roadies for Entombed, Hackinson was a childhood friend of Anderson's, and they were basically conceived, the helicopters were conceived as a side project for Nicky Anderson and uh, Dragon, but eventually became the, like, I guess after he left Entombed or, or stopped playing with them for a while, uh, it became the full-time gig for Nicky Anderson. So they released their Grammy, Swedish Grammy-winning debut album, Super Shitty to the Max, in 1996, before opening... Uh, for KISS on a tour, they recruited keyboardist and percussionist Anders Lindstrom, better known as Boba Fett by those <laughs> who are fans of the band, on a part-time basis, and he would become a full-time member in 1999, which is the year of Grande Rock, which we are reviewing. Uh, they released Pay in the Dues in 1998, but Dragon left the band to return to the Backyard Babies full-time. At that point, Matthias Helberg and... Dane Anderson were recruited to complete the band's touring responsibilities. They released Grande Rock in 1999, which uh, included some additional guitar playing by Helbert Helberg Robert Dahlquist, and who was hired as a full-time guitarist uh, with that release and tour. They released several studio albums following Grande Rock. In 2000, High Visibility was released. In 2002, By the Grace of God. In 2005, Rock and Roll is Dead, and then they finished their run with the covers album, Head Off. Uh, they Now, that's just a portion of the overall releases by the Helicopters. They did numerous EPs, uh, rarities compilations from singles that they released, and they decided to move on to other projects in 2008. Um, Anderson started working on a solo album, recording instruments uh, primarily by himself, he decided at that point it would be better to um, release it as a band. And what's the name of that band? Is it Imperial State Electric? Yep. It they, is. Re- they released their debut uh, self-titled album in 2010. And I believe that they're going to be releasing a new album uh, very soon, if they have not already. So that is sort of the truncated, abbreviated, uh, reduced history of the band for the helicopters. As I mentioned, they have a massive release uh, catalog so tons of music to check b- out just uh, besides the uh, the albums one of my favorite is the uh, Respect the Rock America uh, EP that they did with Glucifer and I think that they do I think they do a bunch of covers on there including a cover of Bob Seger's Her Strut which is pretty awesome mm. and they do uh, Working for MCA by Leonard Skinner mm-hmm. um, and those songs I think are important because I think they're going to tie into uh uh, what we're going to talk about. But uh, if you have a suggestion for an album that we should review, head on over to digmeoutpodcast.com and hit up our request review page. Now, Jay, we did get quite a bit of feedback on this record. Lots of people chimed in. There's lots of Helicopters fans. In fact, this uh, when I when I previewed this episode, 
the uh, the preview got 26 likes, which is pretty good for us, and a bunch of comments. I'm going to read some of those comments right now. Brandon Shields said, Grande Rock is good, but high visibility is great. All right, so we have a little bit of a, an opinion there on, on what mm-hmm. album uh, is is good and what is great. Eric Peterson says, I like to think that if it weren't for the Telecom Act of 1996 and the fact that the majors were deep into the pop hit song for the quarter pop hit song for the quarter mentality that the helicopters would have been the spearhead of the next wave of underground rock to hit big grande rock isn't my favorite record from the band but it's a great example of a band in flux between the punk roots of paying the dues and the more mainstream sounds of by the grace of god another person saying not their favorite record interesting Louis Galvin, it's great news to me. Love the helicopters. Jason Hunley, high visibility and super shitty are the ones. Grande Rock is fine, but far too declawed to be effective, especially since they were trying to tap into the spirit of Detroit's Sonic Rendezvous Band, Stooges, and Australia's Radio Bird Band, New Christs. So, again, high visibility being mentioned. Gavin Reed, great choice, guys. This garage rock sound has produced some of my favorite bands, and the helicopters are right up there. I do prefer the various couple of albums, uh, but nothing wrong with this one either. Richard Lofgren says, The first really great album by the helicopters, just listen to the first two songs, Magic. And Sean Michael Foster says, Great and Great. And then uh, there was one uh, other comment here. Joey Haynes says, You're getting a new like thanks to Chris... I'm going to screw up the last name. Uh, Chisniak, for your love of the helicopters. So uh, I'm, I hope Chris Chisniak uh, uh, got a like or gave us a like for that. So lots of comments. And lots of comments saying, good but not great. This record it is, in a very Yoda way I just put that. Um, <laughs> so let's talk some uh, helicopters, Jay. And let's let's start out with track number one, Action de Grace. This is the the lead track on the record, and it, it's a, it's an interesting track because it sort of um, fades in at the beginning of the record. Mm-hmm. It almost sounds as if they're like playing in an arena from like from a distance, and uh, and then they sort of becomes more present and, and you know more in your face as the song goes on. Now you said you had gotten super shitty first. Um, comparatively, this is a bit of a of a different sound. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more, I guess you'd say, uh, toned down from Super Shitty, which they told. Uh, I like that we can keep saying Super Shitty, and it's not just a, a swearing for the hell of it. That album is very overdriven, and it's it's the the needle is in the red for the recording for a lot of that. Um, this, and I read a little bit why, album, they were really going for like a '70s guitar rock sound, and they actually went to a recording studio, like in the woods of Sweden where this like old hippie guy showed them how to get that tone out of their guitars and how to record it properly. And that's where that this sound of the record comes from. Mm. Action to Grace. Uh, it's kind of an interesting song because it doesn't really have like a distinguished chorus. It's almost like just the intro track for the record, like saying, hey, this is the new sound of the band, and check it out. And then, boom, you kind of get it when you go into the second song uh, with like a full song. But what's your... Um, well, let me ask you this. Uh, when you heard Grundy Rock for the first time, you heard that track. What were your thoughts and what compared to now? I loved it. Uh, you know, I, I started to, you know, I grew up listening to 70s rock um, and early 80s rock. It was just, you know, absorbed it. Growing up in Cleveland, it was just, you know, every single day you'd hear it. So 
I really connected with with this record. Um, I enjoy paying the dues and super shitty when I'm in the mood for it, and I enjoyed them when they came out. And you know, they stood out as being you know something new and fresh in terms of rock and roll. But this, I think, really connected um, on a whole other level for me, and uh, kind of turned some lights on in terms of uh, you know what kind of bands I liked and what kind of music I wanted to make, and you know just how I thought about guitar and, and everything. So, um, you know, this record, this song is a good uh, introduction to the record. Like you said, it is, a, is it is them kind of uh, unveiling the new sound of the band. Um, it's kind of got, you, you, you can really hear the, the MC5, but even deeper than that, like kind of the soul, the Detroit soul roots. The Scott Morgan. Yeah, and even deep, like what those guys were influenced by. You know what I mean? You can kind of hear that. Mm-hmm. Even in this little intro song, you know, when they when they get into the uh, sort of the outro where they bring in the tambourine and you know they're playing double time, it's really got that kind of Motown underbelly of a rhythm to it, and uh, you kind of get where they're where they're coming from. So it's it's a fun little little intro. And that, that and that's a good segue into the second song, "All Right Already Now," because that becomes. That's a lot more jagged in its rhythm section, where you mm-hmm. mentioned about them bringing the temp, the the tambourine. Whereas the second track reminded me, it's a lot more MC5 and a lot more uh, aggressive, and also you get more of you get a you get a chorus uh, starting with the second song, which they're really good at writing choruses that are not necessarily apparently catchy at the first time around, but as you listen to the record more and more, his songwriting it sort of peaks through on this record and then you get it even more on, on high visibility and by the grace of god is a little underrated i think i think most people think of this as like a guitar rock band and that's the that's the first and foremost but nicky anderson as a guy who can turn a phrase that is kind of not too tired but catchy and familiar is mm-hmm. um he's he's really good at that and this track and then, and then third track move right out of here uh, are both in that same vein, and they and I think the thing that I I, I also really appreciate, especially about move right out of here, um, is the use of the keyboards. Like you mentioned, having that soul element that was not present uh, on the first two records. They use it, and it's mixed well. It's not too loud. It's not too quiet. They're able to, you know, make a piano sound not cheesy, uh, which can easily happen uh, if you if you do it wrong, like I have. Yeah, I mean, we we both try to replicate what they do with the the piano on this record, various different things we've recorded over the years and failed. It's so simple, but it's just done right. Um, And, you know, these two, the All Right Already Now, you get, uh, there's a harmonica solo, Mm -hmm. there's the piano, there's really cool use of tambourine in this uh, as an accent to the snare drum in the intro. Um, there's all kinds of things that start to um, reveal themselves to, that are new to the band. I think what's interesting about that song too, though, is that the the basic riff is it's kind of in the early super shitty kind of vein. I mean, it's a pretty ragged, you know, punky riff. Um, the tempo of the song is is pretty fast, um, but you know, at the heart of it, again, you can kind of hear this true understanding of classic rock, Detroit, Motown influenced you know midwestern classic rock and these guys are from sweden but they're able to like somehow 
you know, reinvent that, which it almost seems impossible to be able to do because it's, you know, happened 20 years prior, but it, it sounds 100% genuine and, you know, real and authentic. And then you get into Move Right Out of Here, you started to talk about that song a little bit. Mm-hmm. And that's what, for me, you know, one of the bands that this record really reminded me of is Kiss and early Kiss. So, you know, the first couple of records, maybe up to Alive, particularly Alive, because I think this record sounds very live. Right. So by the time you get to track three, move right out of here, I, I start to, there's parts of that song where I can almost hear it as, you know, an early Paul Stanley Kiss song, like Come On and Love Me or something like that. And so the, it starts to take on that whole angle. You know, you move from the, the MC5 thing into a whole other sort of uh, point of reference for uh, what this band is doing. And the other thing I wanted to mention about uh, All Right Already Now, which is the second song in the record, is that they go into like a breakdown that gives each of the stringed instruments a solo for a measure, mm-hmm. which yeah. I love. I mean, that's the, the fact that on the second song you're going to give the bass time to, to, to solo for a moment is, um, is pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, then they take a shift on track four, which is Welcome to Hell, which features electric piano. It's an interesting ch- a switch up for the band. I, I can't think of anything on the first two records that's as, uh, I want to say mellow, because it's not necessarily a mellow song, but um, it lets the piano take the lead at the beginning of the song. Um, not that the guitars aren't first and foremost, you know, a large part of it, but you know, it starts out with that electric piano. different again very uh, you know you don't, there weren't a lot of bands using a prominent electric piano in the mid 90s or late 90s um so uh, harkens back to uh, you know i always think of electric piano as a very 60s or 70s instrument um in in the way that they're using it but that uh you know it works for them they're able to sort of channel that you know again that like soulfulness um into what is a little bit of a long song but because it's over five minutes long mm. and they tend to keep things pretty tight on this record to like three mi- or uh, four minutes and under. Yeah. Um, some of them are actually like two minutes and less. Some, some of that is probably them turning t- the tempo down for the first time. I mean, I mm-hmm. think this is the probably up into in, the, in their career, probably the slowest song they had written. Then, you know, when you, when you slow down, obviously everything becomes longer 
So that just may have thrown them for a loop of like, okay, you know, can we, we can pull this vibe off, but how do we pull this vibe off, but also, you know, write a concise song, which they, I think on later albums, they kind of figured out how to do that. But, uh, right. It, it also features probably the most on the edge vocal performance by, by Nicky Anderson, um, kind of shows he does a really good job. I mean, he doesn't have a great voice. He has, you know, he's fine. He can deliver a melody. Um, later on and on, um, albums that precede this, he figures out his, his sweet spot. He knows where, what keys to sing in. He knows what he can sing. He knows how to layer it with the music correctly. Um, you know, he, he kind of figures out his, his approach to vocals. Right. Um, this song, you can kind of hear like, you know, he's going in some places he probably shouldn't a little bit. His voice, you can hear the raspiness in his voice and just sort of like aspects of it. I had never really noticed going back and listening to the record. I hadn't really noticed before. Um, so it kind of stood out to me as like, this is them experimenting with, you know, how far can we take this, this band away from punk um, and still be able to pull it off. And this is one of the songs where I think they're, they're exploring the boundaries a little bit and I think it works you're right it's a little long but um they pull off the vibe and that leads into you know one of the longer songs leads into one of the shorter songs and also one of the most like frantic uh, up-tempo songs the electric e- index eel has this really uh tricky guitar part to start out the song it's like picking part and then they go into what is kind of one of the most punk uh drum beats on the and and parts of the whole record that you mentioned you know their punk roots it's uh in the, in the chorus sections it just gets like blazingly fast it's very and motorhead it, to me yeah the, you know that intro up the you know that kind of like repeating the riff the tempo um it's very reminiscent of motorhead i think the thing that that makes it different though and really unique and not just a motorhead ripoff song is the organ Mm-hmm. Um, they bring this organ in during the choruses that it just gives us this whole other character that uh, is unexpected. And, uh, you know, this song could have appeared on the previous two records, but it probably wouldn't have featured that organ. And it probably, to me, wouldn't have been as nearly as um, effective as it is in this record. And then you hit, like, the what I think are the, the, the best two tracks for me on the record, which is... Uh, Paul Stanley at six and the devil stole the beat from the Lord at seven. Paul Stanley, I'm glad they called that Paul Stanley because that sounds like it would, like you mentioned about Kiss Song. That intro riff sounds like it could be a Kiss Song. to be from lord is probably i would say either my top my favorite helicopter song or top two or three helicopter song 
Um, just an awesome guitar riff. It features the uh, a very cool uh, soul breakdown from uh, Nicky Wa- or Nicky Royale. I almost called Mickey Wire. When he says uh, the line, it was it's hard to smile when you're choking on laughter. Uh, mm. And I always, I'm always been curious about this song. I wish we'd you know, been able to have him on because um, if he's he's saying the devil stole the beat from the Lord and tried to set things straight, laughing like a ca- laughing like a clown, laughing like a brat, or laughing like a clown like you got away. You're going down and you have to pay. I think that's some. I, I have sometimes I have a hard time understanding his lyrics, mm. um, but I've always been curious if he's saying that that it's the devil who's saying he's gonna he's gonna take the Lord down, or if he's saying the Lord is now after the devil stole his, stole the beat, the Lord's going back after him. He's gonna it's time to pay. Mm. Um, I'm not. I don't know if, <laughs> if you thought about it that much, <laughs> um, but that's that, that, that's always been the one song that has. Uh, it stuck out to me like if I'm gonna play a helicopter song for somebody, it's probably gonna be this "The Devil Stole the Beat from the Lord." It was it a reminds, single, right? It, well, that was, and I think "Move Right Out of Here" it was, as well. Yeah, I think what these two songs um, show off to me uh, that's important for the band is his ability to write these incredible guitar riffs that that utilize two guitars um, in a very orchestrated manner. Um, both songs sort of have this uh, back and forth, uh, to two guitars making one riff, but each playing different parts at different times and, you know, kind of bouncing off of each other. And, you know, they go on and do that um, even more on, 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 on high visibility. Mm-hmm. Um, truckloads of nothing pops in my head it's an example but just this incredible like riff on top of riff on top of riff and um the ability you know i I think primarily he's writing this stuff but he's writing it um either from being able to um think like two guitar players or just uh, you know lucky enough to have another one that can kind of you know pull that off I, I don't know what what the process is but uh there's an incredible chemistry there between between what the, the players and the performance and how all that stuff comes off and uh, how it comes across it just takes take something that could be a simple seemingly simple and redundant kind of riff and just turns it into like there's never a dull moment you know you're you're you're, you're paying attention and pull, drawn into it because of uh, how well it's crafted when we get into the um <clears throat> the back half of the record, starting with Dog Day Mornings. I think, I'll say this, I don't think there are any bad songs on the record. I think this is where you're starting to get into the songs that are less distinct distinct for me. Um, Dog Day Mornings is fine. It's got a, a nice riff. They add some tambourine in parts of it. I mean, it's a good rock, you know, yeah. tempo rock song for them. But it's not as distinct as, in terms of the the riffage and, the, and in terms of the... You know, so like I mentioned, how they have that very broken beat to like "All Right Already Now." It doesn't have those sorts of uh, or a dramatic intro the way like Paul Stanley does. Uh, it just it doesn't quite have that same um, energy that I think some of the other uh, songs do. Yeah, it's a little bit of a you know album track. It, it's fine. It's not my. It's probably my least favorite song on the record. I think uh, for me though, the second half of the record is saved by Venus and Force. I love mm-hmm. that song. It shows off this whole kind of epic 
uh, ability for this band to sound big and dramatic and epic. Um, amazing, crazy drum fills. The drummer is fantastic and does a lot of really cool stuff. But this song is, you know, they just they get to that verse and the guitarist just hit some big chords and ring out and he just does all these you know keith moon style awesome drum fills and it just it's got like kind of a you can almost kind of see uh by the time they get to the bridge you could almost envision your head like some kind of epic battle going on and this is the soundtrack to it you know and i and i love that side of the band as well so you kind of get you know the front half of the record you're getting all this like uh, soul influenced via MC5, via Motorhead, via you know mm-hmm. Kiss, Detroit kind of thing, and then the second half, all of a sudden, you know, you're you're thinking of the Who and Zeppelin and like all these like more epic uh, kind of classic rock bands, but they're doing it all in a very true way. You know, it's not uh, derivative. As, and they also uh, they introduced the acoustic guitar on this track. Which is also yeah. on um, track ten, five versus seven. Um, this song, this song has the that tremoloed organ as well, which sounds really cool. But yeah, you're right; it has these big, you know, moon drum fills that just take it into a different territory that you hadn't heard before. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, that's a good pairing with five versus seven, which I mentioned it has the acoustic guitar strumming going on. It has sort of it kind of plays a trick on you because it starts out at like a faster tempo and then they kind of stop and slow the tempo down and then go into like a mid-tempo beat mm-hmm. for the song um it's an interesting approach uh to that to the song but uh, this is this is the longest song this is like five and a half uh minutes this track it's it's a bit more epic the end part you know they go to double time it, it gets faster then it gets faster and it gets faster i don't know if i necessarily needed all that to, for the whole song to go on that long i don't know what do you think yeah, it's um, it's really cool that intro you talked about. It's really cool. I love the um, the drums are kind of panned to the left, I guess, and the acoustic guitar is panned to the right, and they lock up and both serve as the rhythm mm-hmm. of the song, which is pretty cool. Um, it you know turns into a pretty uh, epic guitar solo uh, towards the end, and uh, there's a really cool piano they just when they get to the chorus and just do like this one note piano thing that you know if we did it it would sound stupid but right the way it's played and the way it's mic'd and how it's mixed it sounds cool so you just got this like playing 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 you know over the chorus and it totally makes it as it bounces out of that 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 melody so i like this part of the record i like these two songs together and uh i think it's a it's a cool um Another side of the band. Now, track 11, Lonely, I think is a good precursor to where the band would go in sort of embracing a bit more of a, a tra- like a traditional straight-up rock approach. Like, if if you tone the guitars down on Lonely, I think this fits in on, like, High Visibility and By the Grace of God, um, just in terms of the guitar volume. Because they, they strip the guitar volume down a little bit more on each of those records. Yep. to a much cleaner tone but they embrace sort of like this almost chuck berry 50s-ish guitar rock sound on on some of the songs on those records and lonely has that sort of feel i mentioned like the you know the bob seeger uh, cover that they do that this was another one where some of that early seeger not the uh, you know like a rock stuff from the 80s but his like <laughs> 70s stuff 
it, it has a very Motownish and classic, not classic, um, but like early rock and roll kind of feel to some of it. And mm-hmm. this this song is not far off. Also, it's I didn't realize it until I did the research. It's Scott Morgan from the Sonic Rendezvous band singing on parts of the song. Yeah, and the the back and forth vocal really reminds me of Kiss. I can almost hear you know it's Gene Simmons, Paul Stanley kind of a mm-hmm. back and forth exchange on this tune. Right. Um, when they get to the part where uh, the line is, she thinks she's got it, kind of in the middle of the song, and then they uh-huh. go into this guitar solo. I mean, that sounds. Like it was pulled from the greatest kiss song ever written, you know. It's just like, <laughs> yeah, because they, yeah, when they hit that line, he he kind of sings it almost like Paul Stanley, like he goes up high, and then they go into this guitar solo that's got that awesome like Ace Frehley style, like stuttering, like you know, as as the solo starts up, mm. and uh, the tone is dead on. exactly like that awesome tone from the like you said that they they spent time to figure out how to do that yeah i i I love this song a lot this is one of my favorite songs on the record and you're right it does start to point in the direction of you know where the next two two three albums are going to sound and then the the closing track ren voyeur is sort of the is the 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 book end to action to grace It, it utilizes the same riff um, and then they go into like that ending riff at the end uh, for Action to Grace. They actually utilize, utilize the same riff. And uh, I joked around when we were doing the Super Drag episode that the ending track sort of sounded like the wrap-up track on the record. And that you could have done like, a, you know, thanks everybody for listening. Well, <laughs> that's basically what this track is. Yeah, it's yeah. it's, 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 it's kind of awesome because they have like this DJ voice guy saying some, you know, something about the helicopters. And it's only it's only for like 10 or 15 seconds. So it's not like uh, you know explaining who who produced the record and who's playing all the instruments or anything like that. But uh, it's a perfect sort of bookend to Action to Grace, and I like that they put that sort of thought into making the record. Uh, I wish more bands would do that instead of just slapping you know ten or twelve songs together. That they actually like tell a story with how they put the songs together and and actually put some thought into what's going to open and close the the album and you know actually creating some sort of a a flow to the record that ends and begins in in sort of logical places. So, yeah, I, I, it's it's a cool closing track. Yeah, and I thought I was thinking about it, and I hadn't thought about it this way until I revisited it for the show. You know, the album's called Grande Rock, and a lot of their other albums, I don't put much weight into what they called them, except maybe the first one, <laughs> obviously. Right. Um, but this one, I feel like it it has meaning. In that, you know, this feels like to them, but to me, they're they're going back and they're 
they're harvesting all the things that they love about rock and roll music, just straight up rock and roll music, right? And they're taking all those things and they're cranking them, like they're making them grande. They're making them as big as they can, mm-hmm. um, and trying to be as, tr- but but trying to do it in a way that they're completely true to um, the roots of it. Um, they're totally authentic. They're getting the performances as best they possibly can. Um, it's not just about you know. Um, just just cranking on things you know and blowing through it they're trying to get all the nuance right they're trying to get all the vibe right they're trying to get all the feel right they're trying to get the tones right they're trying to get the playing right and uh in some ways it's almost like a concept record you know in that regard you got the bookends that are obviously thought through there's really good sequencing here they touch on a bunch of different styles of of rock music but they all they they pull it all together in a way that you know sounds unique sounds like them totally ownable so it's kind of funny now that I think, you know, kind of look at it and think about the title and listen to the record. Uh, you know, it seems like really well thought out, way more thought mm-hmm. out than I think at uh, maybe I appreciated at the time. You know, a lot of people mention this as being a good record that they, they preferred high visibility or, or by the grace of God. Maybe because I wasn't introduced to them on those records, I don't have as much of appreciation. You know, I, I obviously, you know, really like this band and, and uh, have enjoyed everything they put out. But I still, this is the record that I go back to when I want to listen to Helicopters. Yeah, I mean, I, I think those records, I love those records. Um, I think they probably have better songs. Um, there's no doubt about that. So if I'm going to cherry pick songs, you know, I'll probably go to High Visibility um, or I might go to By the Grace of God. There's a couple, you know, really strong single type songs on there. But if I want to hear a record by them, you know, I would sit, start to finish, uh, to start on track one and then on 12. This is probably the one I'm going to go to because it's the one that's, it's kind of got a little bit of everything and it catches them right in the, you know, the, the middle of their career. They sound, this album sounds, not that the other albums don't sound like a band, but this one really sounds like a live band too. You know, you get that, right. that feeling of it's, it's getting sharper than the first two records were, but it's not so perfect you know the later stuff gets so precise and so perfect it almost sounds like a nicky anderson you know solo record or something or a studio record um even though the songs are great you don't get that you know amazing band style performance that you get on this record where you know at times some of the guitars are they're you know they're a little off and the playing the drum playing sounds just really organic and it just sounds like a band um which is cool my preference for this record is probably also a little distorted in the because this is the album that I saw them on tour for the only time we were, and you were there too I believe mm. uh, when we saw them at the El Rosa in Columbus Ohio uh, they toured with uh, Zen Gorilla and uh, who else was on that um, Bomb Turks. Turks and there was another band I can't remember what the what the fourth band it was a four band bill at El Rosa and I remember. When you hear these guitar riffs, you're like, well, that doesn't sound too complicated. I mean, it just, it's just a kind of an MC5 or a, or a Stooges style. And then you actually watch them playing, and especially watching Nicky Anderson, and he's yeah. actually playing and singing at the same time, how much he's doing. And it's just, it's a, something to watch. I mean, they were just, it, they were absolutely on fire, um, you know, playing back to back. And he's left-handed and the other guitar player is right-handed, I think. So both their uh, headstocks were pointed out at the audience as they're playing back to back. It was pretty cool. So that's a, a show that's always stuck in my memory. 
Yeah, it, they are incredible live. Um, and to go, I saw them on this, obviously, that the show you're talking about. I saw them again. I'm trying to remember what tour it would have been on. It may have been on Rock and Roll's Dead tour. But uh, they are absolutely incredible live. They sound amazing. The performance was amazing. You know, the visual of it. Um, they work their asses off. You know what I mean? You, you, when you saw a show of theirs, it was epic, and they were earning every dollar that somebody spent to come and see them. You know, they were putting on they were putting on a show, uh, which was really cool to see at that time because, you know, we had, we were seeing a lot of bands around that time, and I can't say that for the majority of the bands that we would see. You know, they would just kind of come out and play the songs, and right there wasn't much going on there. But these guys were fully committed and. And, and, and there was a comment that I wanted to mention before we wrap up about something about, what was it, the Telecommunications Act or something? Yeah. But the point being that, you know, I was so glad when I saw that comment because being such a huge fan of this band, I'm, I'm, I'm watching them and the album after album keeps coming out and they keep getting better and better and better or at least more um, pop-oriented and, and refined and refined. And I just keep thinking to myself like, how is it possible that this band isn't huge? I just don't get it. I don't get if you like rock and roll music, how you cannot like this band. It doesn't make, like, I, th- there's no rational explanation. And, and I just, I had this vision in my head of somehow, some way, them being able to get on like a Grammy stage or like one of those, <laughs> you know, like weird, like, you know, some somebody hears them and says, I'm going to try to make this band big and I'm going to give them a shot to do something. You know, like uh, I'm thinking of uh, what the hell is the name of that? Um, Ricky, that Spanish guy. Um, Ricky Martin. Yes. Remember, like nobody knew who that dude was. I mean, he was in Menudo, but besides that, like nobody knew who he was. And like they put him on the Grammys and it was like the next thing. He was like the hugest thing ever. He had no career before that, at least in America, maybe in Mexico or Spanish, or Latin America, he was huge. But here he was like unknown. And I just kept thinking of like, if you could just expose this band one performance, one time to like a mass market audience and, you know, have them play one of their hookiest tunes and put on their full performance. I just, I'm like, this I don't understand how that couldn't be the biggest thing ever mm-hmm. like in rock and roll to happen. And since Nirvana and it just, well, especially cause it, in, in the late nineties, if you think about it, like Buck Cherry broke through right. and that was a band that, you know, is not that far off in certain ways from right. what they're doing. There, um, yeah. There was like this, this uh, movement. You could kind of see it like it wanted to happen with bands like Buck Cherry and, um, yeah, you could kind of see it like percolating. And then the whole time I'm thinking, and obviously a lot of other people that were aware of the helicopters are thinking like, that's the band. You know, this is the band that needs to get the, the op- you know, they, they need the shot. They're the ones that are going to blow this thing wide open and kind of re- reinvent um, the face of rock and roll. And it just never happened. And it was so depressing because <laughs> they're just yeah. so damn good. They needed, they needed that one break. And it just didn't. I mean, at least in the United States. I mean, they won a Grammy in Sweden, and they were a they're you know hugely yeah. popular band 
uh, over in, in Scandinavia and, or Sweden. I don't know how far that extends into Europe and whatnot, but you know, um, and it I just bet didn't they, happen here. I bet they're you know thinking about even they were never even given a good tour here, and that's the kind of thing that makes you think. Like part of me is like, you know, who who wouldn't want to take this band on tour? But that's the way that the business works. If you think about like. With, you know how I just described their performance. What big band wants this band opening for them? They would blow any band they open for off the freaking stage, right? You know what I mean? Like if Kiss took these guys out, well, it's in America, Kiss has a gigantic theatrical performance behind them. You know, if they were just playing to play, like the helicopters are playing to play, they're not putting on a show necessarily in the same theatrical way. Then they don't have to deal with. But I'm saying, like, the they, could, they would blow Kiss off the stage in terms of performance. Like, in terms of, like, no, yeah, they don't have the the fire cannons and shit. But, I mean, just going out and just, like, playing amazing songs that that audience would love. But putting on a performance that, like, not even Kiss can in terms of, like, actually playing, you know, amazing trading guitar solos. And, mm-hmm. you know, sliding on the floor and just going berserk. I think a lot of bands were probably afraid to tour with these guys they were so they were so amazing live that they would probably blow a lot of headliners off the stage well i also think that for grande rock at least you know they were still obviously working their punk roots because they were touring with like the new bomb turks who are a underground you know cult band and much more in line with you know motorhead is you know we mentioned them as being a some some influence on this record and some songs. Um, Motorhead is more known as a legend than I don't know how many people actually know Motorhead's music, other than they know <laughs> Lemmy as yeah, a character yeah. and as a as a personality. Um, but and they might, they might know the line Ace of Spades, right? Exactly, yeah. but they don't really know the music. No. Um, I think that's that's probably you know. A better comparison that, that that they were probably more destined for like a Motorhead type career had they kept going um, than say uh, you know what Aerosmith or whatever. So yeah, and and it, Nikki Nikki's new band um, Imperial State Electric is really good too, and it's not that different. I mean, to be honest, I think the the biggest difference is that um, the drumming's a little bit tamer. It's not as bombastic as um, I think his name is Robert. I want to say the drummer for the helicopters was a lot mm-hmm. more a lot more animated a lot more active um the songs are in imperial state electric they're a little tighter a little bit more you know straightforward but uh they're not that different so well there you go that's our discussion of the helicopters i think we're both at a full album i don't think there's any reason to sort of you know pretend yeah again like i don't get how anybody who loves rock and roll music wouldn't love this band like it doesn't i just can't get i can't even begin to wrap my head around it there you um, go so there's your drop quote for this if you don't love this record you don't love rock and roll there you go they rock man if you like what you heard consider leaving us some positive feedback over at itunes on our next episode we will announce the winner for our itunes feedback contest that we that took place in uh december of 2013 i asked People leave us some positive feedback, and we'd pick one of them to get a free review for 2014. And next week, we will pick that person. So be sure to tune in. And uh, that's it. For Jay, I am Tim. 
And we are done with the helicopters. We are moving on to our next record. What will it be? Uh, be sure to tune in to find out. And we'll be back with another episode of Dig Me Out. Join the conversation about this episode at digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed, as well as links to our request a review and merchandise pages. It's hard to smile when you're choking your